The Productive Woman, Episode 471. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Productive Woman. My name is Laura McClellan and this is a podcast about productivity for busy women. My goal is to help you find the tools and encouragement you need to manage your time, life, stress, and stuff so you can accomplish the things you care about most and make a life that matters. Well, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. In this episode, I'll share with you my conversation with author and executive career coach Elizabeth Pearson as part of our Productive Living series. You'll find more information about Elizabeth, along with links to resources she recommends and the various ways you can connect with her online, in the show notes for this episode at theproductivewoman.com slash 471. This episode is brought to you by Calm. Stressful deadlines, long hours, and the pressures of juggling family and social life can take a toll on your mental health. With Calm, you can get in-the-moment relief from everyday sources of stress and anxiety so you can show up feeling refreshed and ready to tackle any challenge, whether professional or personal. Calm is the number one app for sleep and meditation, giving you the power to calm your mind and change your life. Calm recognizes that everyone faces unique challenges in their daily lives, that mental health needs differ from person to person, and that time for things like meditation may vary. And since self-care practices are so deeply personal, Calm strives to provide content that caters to your preferences and needs. Their meditations range from focuses on anxiety and stress, relaxation and focus, to building habits and taking care of your physical well-being. And of course, they have sleep stories with hundreds of titles to choose from, including sleep meditations and calming music that will have you drifting off to dreamland quickly and naturally. And they even have expert-led talks on topics such as tips for overcoming stress and anxiety, handling grief, improving self-esteem, caring for relationships, and so much more. The Calm app puts the tools you need to feel better in your back pocket, and that can only help with your productivity, of course. If you go to calm.com tpw, you'll get a special offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription with new content added every week, so you can stress less, sleep more, and live better with Calm. If you've listened to this podcast for very long at all, you know how much I enjoy Calm. I've used it since before they were a sponsor. I rely on their sleep stories to get to sleep or to get back to sleep when I wake up in the night. And there's so much more about the app that I find helpful. I encourage you to check it out because, as I said, for listeners of the show, Calm is offering an exclusive offer of 40% off their premium subscription, which is the one that I have. You can go to calm.com slash TPW to learn more. That's calm, C-A-L-M dot com slash TPW for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. Once again, that's calm.com slash TPW. I am delighted to introduce to the Productive Woman listeners, Elizabeth Pearson. Elizabeth is an executive career coach who helps women navigate job changes, succeed in male-dominated fields, and launch their own companies. 
She's contributed to Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, Yahoo, and HerMoney.com, and has been an expert guest on national networks, including NBC News. She's been a keynote speaker for Women in Business Talks at Meta, Oracle, Marriott, Northwestern Mutual, Amazon, and many more. And Elizabeth recently released her first book, Career Confinement, How to Free Yourself, Find Your Guides, and Seize the Fire of Inspired Work, and is the host of her own podcast called The Working Mom's Guide to Sanity. I've been very much looking forward to talking with her about, among other things, managing business communications like email and online meetings. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me, Laura, and thanks to all the listeners for tuning in. Well, I'm really delighted to have you here and looking forward to kind of digging into some of the things uh, that you have written and spoken about. But before we do that, a couple of things. Uh, I gave a little bit of an introduction to you, but maybe you could start by telling us a little bit more about who you are, where you are, what you do, or anything you think would be useful for us to know about you as we uh, get into our conversation. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure that your audience are all, you know, on some level established career professionals. And so I always like to share that a little bit more about my background too, because I think it can help kind of connect the dots, right? I think sometimes people hear about a coach and they're like, okay, what does that mean? What kind of credentials do they have? And I've always been somebody who put a lot of weight on like credentials and experience. So my background is in corporate sales. So I spent about 15 years in consumer packaged goods sales. I worked for Vitamin Water when it was a little startup and then helped build it to the point where it was acquired by Coca-Cola. And I did that a few other times um, with some other brands. And then one day, you know, I feel like most women, I had this moment where I said, you know, is this all there is, right? Like I had the amazing job. I had the two adorable daughters. I had the husband in the beautiful Chicago suburban house. And it just didn't quite feel like enough. And I felt like a lot of my days were spent trying to convince myself that it was enough, right? I had my sister down the road. I had a best friend across the street. And I was just really angry with myself. Like, why can't I just feel really fulfilled and happy. What is this thing that feels like it's missing? And for me, it was this entrepreneurial spirit that had really been told to take a seat because I had other obligations. I was making money. You know, maybe I'll get to her someday. And she was starting to get louder. This was the voice of her. And so I really did. I made massive change in my life. We picked up and manifested a move to Southern California um, and now I sit in an office where I look at palm trees and the ocean. And it's incredible. And I walked away from my sales career. Once we moved to California, we left our entire safety net of family and friends. We didn't know a soul out here. And then I decided to quit my job and um, figure it out, right? Like do my own thing. And ultimately through that trust within myself and the faith that I had in my abilities, it led me to coaching. And for the last six years, I've been coaching incredible women. I've gotten to speak in some amazing rooms, wrote a book. But I just think it's good for your listeners to know too that like I might be more similar to them than they know because just a short six years ago, I was a working mom that was kind of secretly suffering. I felt like I kind of had a spiritual bankruptcy going on and I really was a seeker. I was looking for something else to bring me fulfillment. And only through action did I actually relieve that suffering. And so from all of that, as you said, you sort of segued into 
executive coaching. Talk a little more about how you got into doing that and and what it is that an executive coach actually does or what you as an executive coach actually do with your clients. Yeah. Well, don't laugh, Laura, but uh, I had an astrologer and two psychics tell me that I was supposed to be a coach. And (laughs) I laughed. I was at a beautiful resort in Tucson called Miraval. And this was part of this, you know, seeking journey. And I just had my first child and I thought, okay, I'm going to make a consumer package good, right? That was my background. I thought that would be my entrepreneurial journey. And I was really bummed out when I kept getting all of these messengers telling me that that wasn't it. I was actually supposed to be of service in this lifetime and I was supposed to be a coach. Because like I said, I thought, like, what do you mean a coach? Like, those aren't credible people. You know, I just didn't trust them. (laughs) Like you, you know what I mean? I trusted lawyers and doctors and people who had the certificates and um, MBAs and things like that. So I definitely did not want to lose my identity to take on one that felt so ambiguous. But that was really it. It really kind of opened my eyes once I had these people start to tell me, no, you really should. And then I did my Enneagram and I was a two, which is a helper. Then I did my human design profile, which if you guys haven't done your human design profile, there's all sorts of free links, online quizzes. But this is kind of like your cosmic Enneagram. Like you Mm. have to know where you were born, the time and all that stuff. And for that one, I was a projector, which is somebody who's a guide. Mm. So it was all of these arrows were pointing to this. So it was really, I was... It was against my will, if you will, Laura. Like I did not want to be a coach, but at some point all signs were pointing there. So I had to lean in and I got certified. And once I started doing it, I just feel like I bloomed. It was just this whole new world that I absolutely adore. Well, I want to get into some of the things that you have written and and talked about uh, specifically with, you know, I'm kind of putting them under the umbrella of business communications. But before we get into that, I would love to maybe set a little context for you as a person, as a woman, how you are able to make a meaningfully productive life for yourself. And so starting with this question, if there is such a thing for you as a typical day, what might that look like? Yeah, I mean, I actually kind of love this because I love it when other people answer this question. So I'm glad you asked it. Um I do wake up early. So I usually set my alarm um, at 5.30, 5.45. I get up and I walk to a Starbucks. It's about three and a half miles round trip. Um, I will go there. I will get my iced coffee. I will walk back. I love to listen to a good podcast or an audiobook on that walk. Sometimes I'm just feeling like a Beyonce moment. So I'll listen to Beyonce, get home, <laughs> help the kids um, off to school. And then once they're gone, I will shower and then I will get ready for my day. And what's wonderful about the life I've created is that no day is the same. So like today I get to talk to you right before this. I did a LinkedIn live show. Um, I've got some clients this afternoon and then tomorrow I'll be writing. Um, I do press on Fridays. So it's every day is different, but I do try to wrap up by about four o'clock just because my brain is usually fried by then. So I feel like anything I do after that, it needs to be more personal, right? It needs to be like snuggling with my kids after I pick them up from school. It needs to be a creative outlet. A creative outlet for me is cooking or reading or something or writing or journaling. So I'll do some of that. And then frankly, like I'm watching some TV. I'm watching Mm -hmm. like at least an hour or two of TV because it's a way for me to decompress and zone out. A lot of times it's with my eight and 11 year old girls kind of snuggled up next to me. And then I tuck them into bed and I'm, I'm an early to bed girl. I'm like 8.15, 8.30, I am in the bed and I am asleep no later than nine. 
Nothing wrong with that, I will tell you. I, I tend to be an early riser, not always voluntarily. I just wake up early. And so my husband and I joke about the fact that we're just uh, how boring we are, that, you know, we're ready for bed and we're looking at our watches and, oh, it's 730. It's a little <laughs> too early. Oh, my gosh. So. Well, I'm there, too. I'm doing the exact same thing. Like, I look at the most of the time I'm looking at the clock, like, can I put my kids to bed yet? But then it's because <laughs> I go to bed, like, sometimes I'll hear them in the hallway and I'm trying to sleep and it's like 830. Um, <laughs> but I'll also share with you, my husband and I've been married for 16 years together for almost 19. We have what's currently dubbed a sleep divorce. So he has a separate bedroom. And we did that after my second child was born. So it's been like six years of him sleeping in a different room. And I'll tell you, it's a game changer because mm. I can go to bed whenever I want. There's nobody that's going to come later and wake me up. He likes to watch a little bit of TV and sleep later in the morning. So that is a huge piece of it is like, I get amazing sleep. I get like 10 hours, nine hours of sleep every night. And nice. when I, I had like an aura ring for a while and it was like 98%, like it was amazing <laughs> sleep. And so I think that we talk about productivity and things you know, on this show, but sleep is a huge one. So if you have a partner that's snoring or waking you up, like you should examine that. Uh, that's great advice. I mean, I hadn't even ever thought about that, but sleep certainly is an important component of, of making a productive life. You can't show up as your best self in the world if you're exhausted all the time. No way. Yeah. So just quickly, can you share what tools you might use or if there are any tools or resources that you use to sort of manage your your time, your appointments, your to-do list, any of those sorts of things? Are you a technology girl or paper and pen girl? How How do you handle all that? Mine is actually kind of a mix. So I will write out a to-do list because I think that there is you know, a stronger connection. Like I'm a check the box. Like I love to cross things mm -hmm. out or check the box. I will use a habit tracker. And if people aren't familiar with what that is, again, you can Google it, but it's this wonderful visual representation of where you're spending your time. So you can write out, you know, on lines of paper, like meditate. Am I watching TV? Am I doing emails? Am I this or that? And then you actually take like colored pencils and color in each hour, half hour time increments that you're spending doing that. And I'll tell you, it's something that I do with clients and it is astonishing to most of them because they have no idea how much time they're actually either wasting or they're over committing on things like Zoom calls and emails. And you look at like the meditation or the walks or these moments of stillness or being with their family or friends and they're almost non-existent. So habit trackers are a wonderful way to like visually see where you're spending your time. So that would be more like the traditional route the digital route would be like calendar blocking things. I will calendar block. I will also schedule like LinkedIn posts. I think everybody should be posting on LinkedIn, especially women. It is your professional brand. But if I don't feel like doing it, you know, on the days when it gets the most traffic, which is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday night, I will go in and automate a post. So people can be doing that for their social media. And LinkedIn is social media, but specifically LinkedIn. This really wasn't on the agenda for our call, but talk to me a little bit about that. You just said that you think we should all be posting on LinkedIn. T tell me why. I feel like LinkedIn really is your personal website. And for people who say, well, I'm not an entrepreneur or anything, so I really don't need it. I think you're wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, 90 plus percent of recruiters are using LinkedIn as their candidate pool base, right? So they are 
looking at you, even people within your company, even if you're not looking to leave, it still doesn't reflect well on you if you have kind of a sloppy busted LinkedIn profile that you haven't updated in 10 years because you haven't been looking for a job in 10 years. I always tell people you have to have your career go bag packed. So those are bags are packed, ready to go because you never know what's going to happen. A reorg could happen. You could decide to leave one day and you don't want to spend that time trying to quickly clean up your LinkedIn and raise your SEO. So your search engine optimization on LinkedIn. Hmm. You want it to be a well-oiled machine where you're posting every week, you're visible to your network, the algorithm is favoring your profile because you participate in LinkedIn. You should be writing LinkedIn articles. You should be sharing. And not only that, it kind of like lets recruiters know that you're still out there. Mm. So maybe they have a job that they haven't thought of you for because you haven't posted in 10 years, mm. you know, or they went to your profile and it's just got all the default icons because you don't have... um a headline and you don't have a banner image and you don't have these things. So I say like, there's tons of free content on YouTube about how to optimize your LinkedIn. I have a really affordable course on my website as well, where I walk you through it, but like just clean up your LinkedIn because it's directly related to your first impression and how much people are likely to pay you. So what, what do you say to someone who says, well, I'm not a writer. What should, what would I post on LinkedIn if I'm not a writer? I think it could be anything that you find interesting or could be helpful to your network. So industry specific things. So maybe you're scrolling um, Yahoo or whatever, you know, wherever you get your news or HuffPost or Harvard Business Review or something like that. And you found an article and you're like, hmm, this is interesting enough for me to spend some time reading. I would copy and paste that, you know, that web address into a post and say, I was reading this this morning, you know, and here's something that I didn't know about that surprised me from this article. Or, you know, here's some industry trends in, you know, medical tech, like whatever your industry is, I would just put it in there. So it's, it's things that you're likely naturally consuming anyway, but you can actually utilize those and leverage those to help build your brand. All right. Great. Good information. Um, and if you will send me the link for the course you mentioned, I'll make sure I include that in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. For sure. Well, w one of the things I wanted to talk about when we first sort of connected and started talking about you coming in and talking with me on this podcast episode was something that you have written about and talked about, and that's dealing with email. And that caught my attention because as a practicing attorney, uh, I get, you know, hundreds of emails every day, especially when I have deals closing. And uh, I could very much relate to, you, you've been quoted as saying this about email that kind of spoke to me. Uh, you've been quoted as saying, the overwhelming nature of email overload often stems from the illusion of productivity rather than true accomplishment. People feel productive when they constantly refresh their inbox. However, the brain's constant shift between tasks, known as attention residue, can reduce productivity by up to 40%. This very much resonated with me. Talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think it's like anytime we're focused on something and our phone notification goes off or maybe you're a parent or you've got a dog that runs in or something, you're just distracted. You're taking out of that flow or that focal you know, kind of space that you've been utilizing to be really effective in whatever you've decided to do. So what I say for emails is 
there's a few different tools. First one is I definitely think that you need to carve out specific time in your calendar to focus on emails. So calendar block. So if you get an email and you can't respond to it within two minutes and you can't respond with just like a quick, okay, yep, here's the thing, you know, uh, here's the answer to your question and then move on. Then what I say is, I think you should have folders in your inbox for days of the week, uh, work days of the week. And if that is an email that say you need to get to within two days, maybe they even specified a deadline, then I would go ahead and put that in the correlating folder. So I would say, okay, it's Monday. I got that email. I need to get back to them by Wednesday. So I'll put that for Tuesday because right now I can't focus on it, right? Or I don't have time at the end of the day today. I didn't put any time in my calendar to focus on that. So I'm going to put that in on Tuesday. But Tuesday, I know that I have a two-hour block between one and three that I'm going to sit and focus on emails. But what I wouldn't do, Laura, is go in, read it, kind of halfway comprehend it, and then mark it as unread and then keep it in my inbox. That is this mental clutter of like, you've already kind of read it. Maybe if you can't respond to it right away, that's okay. But at least put it in a folder, like get it out of your inbox because I feel it's kind of like hoarders. You know, when you walk into somebody's house and they just have so much stuff, it's paralyzing. It's overwhelming. People just can't deal with it. So these people who have like a thousand emails in their inbox or like a hundred text messages, texting is another thing. I feel like it's information hoarding. And it's going to be completely overwhelming and it's going to paralyze you at some point. I absolutely agree. For me personally, it's very distracting to me if I have more emails in my inbox than I can see in one screen. If I have to, you know, scroll to to see the rest of what's in there. And I try to keep it um, to that at at best. But when I've, if I'm out of the office for a few days or when I have closings going on and the emails are coming in faster than I can process them, uh, you know, that can be difficult. And and so for those of us like me who are in what I would call email intensive jobs, uh, staying on top of that can really feel like a losing battle. So uh, I like your idea of having uh, I use folders, like one for each client and one for each deal for the client, but but those are more like archives. I right. like your idea of adding folders for each day of the week and moving the ones I've read but can't respond to yet into those. What other suggestions can you offer or steps can we, that we can take to get a handle on our emails so we are being truly productive instead of, you know, the the having the illusion of productivity that you referred to. Yeah, I think it goes back to boundaries. So I think that we need to have some really firm boundaries on the inbound communication that we're receiving. So for you, like how many of those emails that you get, Laura, do you feel like it's really critical for you to be on? Is it like 90% or are some of them just FYIs? I would say probably 90% of them are things I need to be on. And, and many of them uh, you know, of those 90%, you know, at least 80% of them, I, I actually need to do something about. Yeah. Um, that's a bummer. <laughs> yeah. That's your profession. I don't know that that's the case for everybody. If it is, I think for you, like just a robust, like calendar blocking is important. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people out there get CC'd on emails that they don't need to be on. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's just like an FYI. And I think specifically for women, it can be really hard to respond and say, why was I included on this email? Please let me know what you need from me. It's unclear. 
because we think we're going to come off as rude or harsh or cold. And I really don't think it's that. I think we need to start having some boundaries because if you start kind of like checking people and saying, okay, but why was I on this? They might think twice before they just randomly BCC or CC you on something. And so what we're trying to do is filter the inflow, right? We need to slow down the faucet. If it's just full blast and everybody's putting you on everything, you should really go through and say, I don't need to be on that marketing email every single Monday. Um, What I need is maybe at the end of the month, somebody on my team who is on those emails to distill down the five big points that were covered in those emails at the end of the month, Mm. you know, or something like that. But so I think like unsubscribing is a big one. And this isn't just from like the Banana Republic emails. This is from distribution lists that you're on at work that you do not need to be on. And I think a lot of people think, oh, well, I'll just delete it if I, or I'll just archive it just in case. No, this is the hoarding, right? Uh, the, I might need it later. You won't need it later. If somebody needs you to do something, they will email you again. <laughs> we know they will, right? It doesn't make you look unprofessional to say, I'm really taking a vested interest in my productivity. And right now the inbox is way too big. So I need to edit. I've identified that this email string or this weekly distribution or whatever I'm on actually isn't needed. And if there's something you need specifically from me, please reach out independently and let me know. So it doesn't really help us so much in your case, Laura, if that's really just kind of like designed around your role. But I think there are a lot of people out there who are getting emails and sometimes they don't even know what to do with them. There's not a clear call to action. They're just copied on it. And I think it's better to not be on it because if you're copied on it and then everybody else starts responding, just as like, okay, thanks. You know, the thank you email reply, right? Like, can we quit doing that? Like, we don't need to thank people for sending us an email and you definitely don't need to reply all with that thank you or congratulations. You know, like at some point we need to just say, I don't need to be on this. And if I don't have a clear role in this, please, you know, omit me from the distribution list. I think that's exactly right. That that makes total sense to me. I think it's difficult for a lot of people to say that because as you said, if we think we're going to be perceived as, you know, not caring or being rude or abrupt, and yet you've got to somehow defend your time and your attention. Time, energy, and attention are finite resources. We yes. can't spread them everywhere and and still accomplish the things that are most important. We definitely can't. Every time we say yes to email, we say no to something else. And usually that no is to eating a balanced lunch, getting mm-hmm. up from our desk, getting outside in nature every day, meditating, giving our spouse a hug. Like we are saying no. Every time we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, you're likely hurting somebody in your personal life's feelings, your Mm -hmm. sister who hasn't talked to you in a month, you know, or your dog that's been whining at the door to go outside. Like you are hurting somebody. So just make sure it isn't, you know, the people that you actually care about, not the coworker who you kind of don't like anyway, and you're probably (laughs) never going to see again when they leave. Like, I think it's okay. I, I always say too, for women, it's especially hard, but I look like I've got a, I've got a picture of RBG in my, in my office and Gloria Steinem. And I look at them and I say, did everybody like them? Mm. No, not necessarily, but people respected them, Yeah, you know? So I think that we need to lean more into being respected at work as women versus being liked. I think that makes absolute sense. I'm thinking as you were talking of, of some colleagues of mine who you know, lead teams, they're lawyers, obviously, but they lead teams on various deals. And they 
say they want to be copied or at least BCC'd on every every email on the oh. deals for their clients, even the ones that they're not actively working on. And uh, because they feel like they need to know what's going on uh, in case the client calls them because maybe they're, you know, the relationship attorney with this particular client, but other people on the team are handling a specific deal. What, what do you say to that perspective? I think it's okay to have some boundaries and expectations clarified with your clients. You know, I'm not going to be in the minutia of this. So if you ask me a question that is really um, micro, then I'm going to need to, you know, consult with the team who has eyes on those minute details. Like, I don't, I don't know. A lot of times people don't care. Like one thing, yeah. it's so funny. My financial advisor, he's got a great team. And every time I email, he wants me to copy him. And I finally said to him, I'm not going to do it. I know you have a wife and kids and I know that you're trying to grow your business. I refuse to copy you on every little thing. And he goes, well, I want to be able to know if you need something or if you have a question. I go, I don't expect you to. Like, so I think we we kind of might have this, this false um, story in our head going that like the client expects us to know every little detail. They likely don't. You know, and it can be a conversation that you have with them of like, how granular do you need me to be? Because I'm thinking big, more big picture strategic, um, which is what you're paying me the big bucks to do here. Not about, you know, where are we with this one tiny claim or this something that is not actually, you know, going to be critical to the overall deal. Like, I think, you know, if you're worried about that, you can have a conversation with your boss, with your team, with your clients, whoever it is to say, I need some time for some inspiration to flow. I need some time for some problem solving to be able to, you know, come into my awareness. And I can't do that when I'm like constantly buried in emails. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, you know, it has been said that your email inbox is other people's to-do list for you. Yeah. And so for that reason, I try not to look at my email first thing in the morning until I've, you know, kind of knocked out something that I know is really important for me to get done that day. But it can be hard to do. It really can. I mean, but I think, again, you have to ask yourself, what am I saying no to? When I say yes to checking emails at 530, when nobody's expecting me to check emails, I am saying no to that cup of coffee and peace, watching the sun come up. I am saying no to, you know, making myself a healthy breakfast. I'm saying no to the walk. So like, I would just check yourself and say, everything comes at a cost. So right now, mm -hmm. as long as you're okay, you know, not going to yoga or not meditating or not reading a chapter of your favorite novel or whatever, if these emails, if you really think it's going to make a huge impact, then go ahead and do the email. But I don't know, Laura, I kind of doubt that on our deathbeds, we're going to wish we had like banged out more emails. <laughs> I think you're probably right. I want to talk about another element of communication in the business world. And, you know, setting aside for the moment that personal email can be just as troublesome as the work email uh, for some of us. In addition to emails, a lot of time in my day, and I think in many other people's days, is taken up with meetings. Uh, specifically these days, certainly for the last few years, online meetings via things like Zoom and Teams. And I know you've had some things to say about the challenges of this prevalence of online meetings. Can you uh, maybe share what what you see as some of the pitfalls of this 
kind of ubiquitous video conferencing? Oh my gosh. I mean, torture is now Zoom meetings, right? Like <laughs> it, it really is. And I think, I think that it unfairly affects women as well. I hate to keep making this like a gender thing, but I think when we used to just have regular conference calls, right? Um, that was one thing. Now it's this constant, you have to be camera ready, you know, put on your makeup. You have to wear mm. a different cute outfit every day. All of these things, you have to like do your hair, all of this stuff that I think maybe if you were going in office, you were used to, to begin with, but statistics show too, that now like being on a zoom is so much more mentally draining than it is sitting in a conference room, having an in-person discussion because we are hyper fixated on what the other person is doing, right? So the host or whoever's speaking, you're looking at them and you're trying to get these cues as to what's their mood, what are they thinking, what's, what are they going to do next, which we will just kind of naturally be attuned to when we're in person live. But when we're not, we have to heighten all of these other senses to try to figure out our standing, right? And so, mm. and you, you don't even look away. Like there's so many people, you'll see them like try to sneak a nut. It's like, we're all squirrels, right? Like everybody's trying to eat a little something <laughs> in the middle of the day. And you'll see somebody like put something in their mouth and then try to chew it or take a drink of something. And they're so self-conscious because you're literally on a screen. It's like everybody's biggest fear is like being on TV. Well, we're on TV all the time now is what it feels like. Yeah. And so what I say is, again, you have to aggressively just hack away at your invitations. Do I need to be on this Zoom, right? Do I need to be on this call or not? Please let me know what you're hoping I can contribute. So like immediately start doing this. And you could say, well, I've never done that before. I'm somebody who's always been on the calls and I always raise my hand to take notes and all of this stuff. Laura, it's never too late to renegotiate mm. with your employer the boundaries, right? It's always a negotiation. Go back and say, you know what? I'm sorry that in the past I have been overly available and it's, I'm finding it's impacting my work. So in order for me to be more productive and more effective um, and have less mistakes in my work, I'm going to be taking less video calls, mm. right? Or you can record them and I will watch them at a time that, you know, I have the bandwidth to absorb the information, something like that. But I think first, like we have to turn the faucet off or turn it down on the, the inbound requests. And then when you are in a meeting, I say, listen, if you're in that meeting, you can quickly tell within the first few minutes whether you need to be on that meeting. If you get on it and you like come to the point of, I don't think I need to be on this meeting. It's okay to excuse yourself. Mm. It's okay to put in the chat, you know what? I don't think I can, you know, efficiently contribute to this meeting. So I'm going to drop off and then do it. Mm. Don't ask for permission. Don't explain. Just get off the call. And so you've referred to this whole culture of, online meetings like this as Zoom jail. What other suggestions can you offer to help us get out of Zoom jail and uh, get back to working more productively? Well, I think for the leaders who are listening, like if you manage anybody, go back to the conference call. Like nobody said anything was wrong with those. You don't have to have videos on. Or if you do need to have it for some sort of like recording purposes or for the chat, if you want to have Zoom or Teams or whatever, allow people to turn off their video, actually suggest it. Even when we got on this podcast, I was relieved when you were like, you know what, we don't have to have the video on, right? Like we don't, mm. probably not going to utilize it. There's so many shows I've been on where 
I'm so conscious, you know, I don't want to take a drink of water. I don't want to do this or that because it's being recorded. And then at the end, they don't use it anyway. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. You know, like, (laughs) so I think it's okay to say, I'd rather not have my video on. But if you're a leader, I think there can be like Zoom free Wednesdays, you know, or Mm. no meeting Fridays, something like that. I think that you're really setting the tone as a leader as to what the expectations are. But then also, if you do have to have meetings, ask yourself, number one, could this be an email instead? And we're trying to cut down on email, so it better be a good one. Number two, <laughs> can it be a conference call? If it could be a conference call, do that. And if not, if it has to be a Zoom, I say you need to make them like 55 minutes or less. Sometimes people are on Zooms for 90 minutes, two hours. People need to be able to stand up. They say sitting is the new smoking. Well, people are sitting mm-hmm. all day. They need to be get be able to get up and walk around. They need to be able to use the facilities. They need to be able to get some food. Like, and they could do that if they were on a conference call. They could just mute it. Yeah. You know, so I would say like go back to that. Or if you're going to do Zoom, at least have one or two days of the week where you're not utilizing the video component. Yeah. I love that. And there are there are times when a video conference is a Great tool and the appropriate tool if you need to share screens and, and look at a document yes. together or something. That, but, but we don't need to be on camera for that. Um, exactly. And, you know, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've had conversations with people commenting about how, how distracting it is that they're seeing themselves on the screen and how uncomfortable they are with that. So, uh, oh my gosh, everybody yeah. says that. Like, yeah. they, right, because you're like, half the time you're just staring at yourself and you're like, ooh, is that a gray hair? Is that something <laughs> in my tooth? Is that uh, the picture behind me is crooked? Like, it is. So this whole thing of like people are, you know, more productive, I agree with you. I would argue they're probably less focused and they're absorbing less of the actual context of the meeting. Yeah. I mean, you know, we could we could talk f- probably for hours just about the the issue of meetings in general, but we won't go there at least not this time. Maybe you and I can talk about that another time. Um managing email and workplace meetings whether video or otherwise are two of the sort of uh, nitty-gritty kind of practical elements of a productive work life, a productive professional life, but there's a lot more to it than that. And you have recently published this book that I mentioned earlier uh, that you titled Career Confinement, uh, in which you speak to women about finding fulfillment in their professional lives. What inspired you to write this book? I was inspired to write this book, Laura, because I had had so many incredible journeys with clients that came to me in different stages of their lives, with different levels of, you know, stuckness is what I call it. And I really wanted there to be a resource for people who can't afford an expensive career coach to work one-on-one with them. I wanted there to be a resource where, you know, proactive and self-motivated people could help themselves for as little as, you know, $15, a $15 book on Amazon and the Audible's even cheaper than that. But I really do think there are a lot of women out there who, you know, the voice inside is starting to get a little bit louder and, they're saying, you know, I don't totally love this, right? And I don't know if I can do this for another 20 years. And I get the Sunday scaries because work is coming. Or I go on vacation and I absolutely dread coming back to work so much so that my body locks up. You know, I'm having physical symptoms. I think there need 
to be resources out there so that people can help themselves out of these situations. And in the book, there's 13 case studies, which is, you know, a small, small number, but I thought they were the most potent. Like some women in there have come to me when they feel like they're being quote unquote put to pasture. So they could be maybe 55 plus and all of a sudden their boss starts passing them over for promotions, just assuming they're going to want to retire soon. Some have even been asked like, so what are your plans for retirement? which you cannot ask somebody, you know, it's the same thing of like, are you going to get pregnant? You know, there's all sorts of different things. And so I just wanted women to be able to walk in the steps of my clients and utilize some of the tools that I used with them to help themselves. I've begun reading the book and I find a lot of interesting and inspirational content in there. You titled the book Career Confinement. What does that mean to you? I think I think maybe you just were referring to or kind of describing some of it, but what do you mean by career confinement? Well, it's really interesting. Anybody who sees the book, there is a tiger behind, you know, the shadow of of some bars, a cage. And I really feel like a lot of people do feel like they're confined, like they're in a cage. And sometimes those bars to that cage are very real, right? It might be the city you live in that you can't leave because maybe you're a caretaker for a parent or you have a special needs child or just financially you can't leave. Mm -hmm. um, but then sometimes they could be more so the shadow of the cage, of the bars. And these are mental confines. So this might just be a mindset that you have. It could be some past trauma that wasn't resolved that's keeping you stuck and in these limiting beliefs. But I feel like every single one of us is a tigress out there ready to run. And I think over the years, the bars go up one by one, little things that just keep us stuck. And then you feel really almost like you're at this point where you've gone so far down a one-way road, like you can't turn around. And a lot of my clients are lawyers and doctors, and they have invested so much time and money in becoming the experts that they are, that they really feel stuck. Like, how can I not be a lawyer anymore? How can I not be a doctor? I'm still paying off my loans. And I tell them, we'll figure that out, but you absolutely can make a pivot. So that's what I try to tell people is, you know, the tiger in the cage, it might really feel like there's a cage, but in my mind, the cage has never been locked. So you can really leave anytime you want, and you just might need to get some support to help you find your way out. One thought that occurs to me is knowing that you can leave anytime you want doesn't mean you have to leave. It may make it feel less confining, right. and you can be happy where you are when you, when you can really internalize the fact that you don't have to be there. You're so right, Laura. You nailed it. Absolutely. Our conversation is part of the Productive Living series that we do here at the Productive Woman podcast. And here we talk about productivity uh, in a bigger sense, more than just getting stuff done. I mean, getting stuff done is important, but we talk about productivity in the sense of making a life that matters as we each define it for ourselves. And so I wonder for you, what, what does it mean to you to make a life that matters? I want to have a life that is fun. And I think, you know, sometimes it can be, I want to make a big impact. I want to raise my daughters to be strong, independent women. I want to live up to my end of the bargain with my husband and my partner. And all of that is, I feel like, kind of a given. But I really think that our souls manifest in these bodies because they want to have super fun experiences. So that's kind of my purpose is, I want to experience things. I want to try to be non-judgmental and non-resistant. And I 
try not to label things as good or bad. They're, it's just an experience. But I think a life that's productive and well-lived is one that you can be present in, you can enjoy, and you can just radiate that, that joy and that fun to the ones around you. I love that. And that's true of, of us both professionally and personally. All of that can be wrapped up into that. Yes, 100%. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to ask you uh, a question that I ask every guest because I think we all can learn from each other. You have, you described your kind of typical day and you've obviously got given thought to how to structure your day and your life to serve you and to help you accomplish the things that are important to you. But even in that context, do you ever have a day when when it just all gets away from you or you get completely stressed out and overwhelmed? And if so, what do you do to get back on track? Oh my gosh, I would be lying if I said I didn't have those days. I have them a lot, um, especially when a client is really struggling with something. Sometimes I've got like five or six client calls and they're all, maybe somebody just got laid off or somebody's, you know, contemplating a divorce, like big, heavy stuff. And it really can, that kind of like emotional residue can stick and that can take me out. Mm -hmm. And usually when I feel like that, I really will go like lean on the tools that I know will pull me out. And my big one is meditation and exercise. So I will either go for a walk um, or I will just kind of like take to the bed. Like I meditate in my bed, laying down with my head on the pillow. I don't sit, you know, um, on a cushion in Lotus on the floor. Mm-hmm. Like I put in a wonderfully awesome Deepak Chopra is my favorite, has wonderful guided meditations, or I will do some EFT tapping. Um, and, and your listeners can Google that if they're unfamiliar with it, but it's tapping um, with your finger on acupressure points um, on your upper body as you're saying things to yourself. It's one of the seven ways, I believe, that you can override subconscious thoughts. Hmm. So I will do that to disconnect energy. Another prayer I will say is, please um, disconnect any energy that is not mine or meant for me and return it to its source and then return all of my power and energy to me. Mm -hmm. So I will do things like that. I will sage spray my office. Like I'm very spiritual. I'll hold some crystals. I got a deep box, Laura, of, of tools in my toolkit that I will go to. But one thing that I won't do is just lean further into work mm. because for me, leaning further into work is just going to exacerbate it and it's going to be twice as hard to get out of it. Mm. And isn't it funny that at the moment in our life when we are completely overwhelmed and we feel like we can least afford to step back, that's the moment we really need to do that. A million percent. That's the thing. I think Oprah said it. Yeah. She said like, when you don't know what to do, get still you know, or do nothing. And I think we've been trained to your point, right? Like we got to be productive. Productivity is linked to self-worth. So if we're resting, then we're not being productive and then we're not worthy. Um, And I think we really need to reframe that. What is productivity? I think productivity is life well lived. Mm -hmm. I agree a hundred percent. Well, Elizabeth, there's so much more we could talk about, but if someone listening wants to learn more about what you're doing or maybe has a question for you, where's the best place for them to connect with you online or to find you? Yeah, so they can go to my website. It's elizabethpearson.com. It's one word. Um, Feel free. There's like um, a get in touch. There's a contact form. You can ask me a question there. You could always set up a call to chat. And then on Instagram, I'm at coach.elizabeth.pearson. TikTok, it's at coachelizabethpearson. And on LinkedIn, my favorite of social media, it's coachelizabethpearson. 
Great. And we'll put all those links in the show notes in case uh, someone is, you know, on the treadmill or something and can't write it down as they're listening. So they'll find it there. Before we go, I, I want to ask you to speak to maybe the woman who's listening, who's just looking for a little bit of help and encouragement in getting things done and in, in making a life that matters as she defines it for herself. Thinking about how, wh- whether it's managing workplace communications, email, Zoom calls, whatever, or the other things that you've written and spoken about, thinking about how all that fits into that objective what might you say to that woman? Yeah, I think like get support. I, the biggest thing I think that can be hard for women just because of so much external conditioning, trying to tell us to like kind of do it ourselves. Um, I don't think any woman should be out there kind of like white knuckling it in any part of their life. If there's some area of your life where you're feeling overwhelmed or strained, I think that you should seek support. And that can be mental health support. It can be support in terms of DoorDash for dinner instead of you making it or Instacart, your grocery shopping. It can be a cleaner for your house, you know, if you're privileged enough to be able to afford that. But I think it could also just be a friend. I think a lot of times we don't lean on our friends to help us with things um, or our colleagues or people on our team. And I think if we could collectively just do a little bit less, um, we'd all be well off because I think people really do want to help, but they can't help you if you don't ask. Great advice. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank you, Laura. As someone who personally has to deal with overwhelming amounts of work email and video conferences, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with Elizabeth and it glad for her thoughts and practical tips for better managing workplace communications. Now, as an executive career coach, she has so much more wisdom and practical advice to offer in all areas of career development and professional success. So if you're interested in learning more about the work that Elizabeth is doing, definitely check out her website and her books. We'll have links to all those things in the show notes for this episode. I'd love to know what you think about the things that she and I talked about. Do you have any questions or comments? You can share those in the comments section of the show notes for this episode, which you will find at theproductivewoman.com slash 471. Or you can post a comment or question on the Productive Woman Facebook page. Or if you're a member of the Productive Woman Community Facebook group, you can do so there. It'd be a great place to have that conversation. Remember, for listeners of this podcast, Calm is offering that exclusive offer of 40% off their premium subscription at calm.com slash TPW. Just visit calm, C-A-L-M dot com slash TPW to learn more and to take advantage of that offer of 40% off their unlimited access to their library. And that, my friends, is it for this episode of The Productive Woman. Thank you so much for spending this time with me and with Elizabeth. I hope you felt like it was a worthwhile use of your time and that you found something in it that was helpful or encouraging to you. I look forward to talking with you again soon. So until next time, remember, extend grace to each other and to yourself and go make your life matter.